The scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. In this three-part series through the book of Galatians, we have been uh, looking at the concept of being transformed, um, being changed from one um, version to the next version, being transformed and changed in the likeness of Christ. Paul gives this incredible teaching to the churches around the area of Galatia, those who have been walking with God, those who have been learning this way of Jesus Christ. Um, they've been uh, a group of churches that have formed over the last 15 to 20 years since Jesus was around. And here we find Paul feeling the need to write to them about this transformed life that we have in Christ. Um, the first uh, part of the book of Galatians, we talked about how um, we are uh, transformed in our standing, in our position before God, that before we knew Christ, we were um, damned for an eternity um, separated from God. And in a moment, in the time that we accepted Christ and his sacrifice, we were transformed in our standing before God, where he no longer viewed us as sinners, but he viewed us as redeemed as through the blood of Jesus Christ. He saw us literally in equal standing with Christ because of that work of Jesus on the cross. Last uh, time we talked about this transformation from slave to heir, um, where we were in, under the bondage of slavery under the bondage of sin, the entrapment of sin, and how we were not only transformed to freedom, but we were transformed to heir, to son and daughter, um, and how, how rich that understanding is. Well, today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. And as you already heard, um, it's a passage of Scripture, especially the last part that I'm sure that you've heard before, um, where we've t we learned about the uh, fruits of the Spirit. Um, you've probably seen the fruits of the Spirit on plaques on your, in, you know, in your home. Um, you've maybe seen them written um, in different uh, places uh, as reminders at how to act and how to be. Well, today we have entitled the message, Transformation, the Evidence is In. So we have this um, 
this tendency that um, when we're looking to see if things are changed, we're looking to see if there's actually evidence to that change, that there's something that proves that there's been change. Maybe the way uh, you've been mistreated by someone in the past and they want to have a second chance or a third or fourth or fifth chance. And you're like, sorry, I don't really believe that you've been changed. I'm going to need to see some evidence. I'm going to need to say some proof that there's something that's been changed about you. And here we find in Galatians 5, this, um, this, this, these two different lists that are here before us, and they are really lists that describe the evidence of what's going on inside a person's life, inside their heart. And so the first list we find here, and I'm calling this the evidence for the flesh, the evidence for the flesh. Now the works of flesh, the works of the flesh are evident, it says, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. What a list. This is a list of stuff that goes on in the world. It goes on in the lives of the people around us. And we take a look at a list like this and we not only are we exhausted just looking at the list, but we can't help but to find ourselves wondering where we land in that list, especially because the list ends this way, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We find here that those who are um, functioning and practicing and having this as being the fruit coming out of their lives, the evidence coming out of their lives, that God's pretty clear that this is not the behavior that lands a person in heaven. This is not a person that lands a person in eternal life. We're tempted when we have a list like this to use it as a bit of an evaluation, a uh, 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 wait for us to evaluate how we're doing. Um, and so we might look at those things and go, well, if I'm you know, not guilty of too much on that list, maybe I'll be okay. Maybe in the similar way that uh, you would uh, go into an exam like um, you're, you're trying to qualify, like going into a bar exam for some uh, you know, professional career and there's these standards that you need to hit to prove that you're proficient maybe as a lawyer or as a teacher or some other certification that you're hoping to get. And if you can just get 80% on that exam, you will pass and you will be counted in as someone who's passed the exam. Um, take it to probably something most of us have experienced, and that's a driving test. You, you go in and you've got to take a driver's test and you've got to somehow land at 80% or better on your written test and even on your... Uh, uh, you know, skills test. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you pull up to a stop stoplight and you've ever thought about wondering, I wonder what um, maybe 20%, up to 20%, the people um, that are driving around me, what they didn't pass or what they weren't proficient in, in their driving test. And you wonder, what kind of risk am I sitting at? Because if someone misses 20% of anything, there's a good part that they don't know what the heck they're doing in something that they're about to do. You're like hoping it's parallel parking, but maybe it's something else they couldn't do very well and they're they got a license and they're driving around you. You see, a list of sinful actions like we find here in Galatians 5, verses 19, 20, and 21, this list that we find here um, are disqualifiers for relationship with God. It's a, it's, and, and there's a lot of lists in the Bible that make sure we understand what... Um, 
are disqualifying for a relationship with God. Um, much of the Old Testament and Leviticus and all of the rules that were there, breaking just one part of the law, the Bible says is clear that if you break just one part of the law, it's as if you've broken all of it. And so we can't take a look at a list like this and go, well, you know, I, I'm, I've not had a problem with adultery or idolatry or sorcery, but you know, when it comes to selfish ambition, yeah, or maybe, um, you know, getting drunk on the weekends, yeah, I've got these uh, little issues, or maybe sometimes I've got outbursts of wrath, but most of the time I'm doing okay. And you see, we can't look at a list like that and see if we've maybe got 80% of it covered. Um, this list of behaviors that we've just listed come very naturally to humankind. We, we struggle with probably all these areas, and when we often take Jesus' words and we realize that he, he, he really raised the bar much higher than even the Old Testament law did because he said things like, if you even hate your brother, you are guilty of murdering that brother. If you even look at a woman lustfully, it's as if you've committed adultery with her in your heart. You are guilty of adultery or murder by just simply having hatred or lust in your heart. And so we find that Jesus up the ante as to what breaking God's um, expectations and requirements for righteousness really is all about. And so, the, you know, when we look at outburst of rash, wrath or selfish ambition or dissensions or envy, these are things that when we take a look at, at them and, and open our heart to full examination, we realize that this stuff is still cranking in our lives. Even as Christians, even as followers of Christ, we struggle here. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. That's the evidence of the flesh. Then he gets into the more popular passage of Scripture, the evidence for the Spirit. Let's read him again in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, this list is much shorter than the first list. If you take a, just a, a numerical count, we've got eight words here that are make up the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, maybe nine. I think it's nine. Nine words there versus the 17 words that are listed in the list of the flesh, the works of the flesh in our lives. Um, we find here that Paul even says that this list is contradictory to the other. So when we're looking at the fruits of the Spirit, we find here that um, they are in contention. The works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, are in contention with one another. And, you know, it's easy to, to look at this list and you can find where one is contradictory to the other. For instance, when you take a look at all, uh, adultery or fornication, it's contrasted with love. You find that love is at work which would keep one from extramarital affairs and lusts. We find here hatred and contentiousness contrasted by the word kindness because kind, kindness doesn't allow you to hold someone with hatred or constantly fighting with them with contention. We find here that outbursts of, outbursts of wrath and murder are contrasted with long-suffering. In other words, there would be patience. Patience wouldn't allow you to... Uh, you know, to deal in, in such ways leading you to murder. Drunkenness and revelries contrasted by the idea of self-control. And so when the, the works of God in our lives is in contention or is 
you know, is trying to fight against these natural things that flow out of us, the works of the flesh. Now, the word fruit is used, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, I, I think that Paul, along with Jesus, many times loved to use analogies from nature. And so he, he connects us here to, um, you know, the work in the garden, the work of the trees, the fruit that comes out of their plants and their trees. And... What we find here is that the fruit, that which pops forth in the spring and develops over the summertime, the fruit out of a plant becomes that which is um, identifies the tree. You know, you'll call an apple tree an apple tree when you see apples come out of that. You'll call an orange uh, tree an orange tree because of the oranges that come out of it. And so it's identified, that tree is identified by its fruit, by that which you see coming out of it. It's what's obvious about it. Now, the growth process that's going on inside that tree or that plant that's producing the fruit, the, the growth process is constant. It's always going on, and yet it's very unnoticeable. You are, you know, certain times of the year, you're going to be able to measure that the plant is growing or producing or is blossoming quicker than at other times of the year. But there's a continual progression that's going on inside that plant. There's, if, you know, you take a tree, even in the winter time, there's some level of growth that's going on that's making it a little taller, stretching a little further out. Um, the growth process is not stopping, even though it's not super noticeable. And when we take, think about how our lives change, are being transformed into the image of Christ, the parallel is very clear that even though you don't see much growth going on in your lives as you are walking with God or walking in the Spirit, like we're going to talk about in just a moment, as you're walking in the Spirit, you feel like things aren't changing in your life. And, uh, and yet there is. The more connected, the more time you spend with God, the more that growth goes on. And so this comparison Comparison to fruit um, and trees and growth and uh, all of this is very appropriate for how the Christian life and the transformation process um, that God takes us being transformed into his likeness takes. It's a slow, unnoticeable, yet measurable um, change that takes place. Fruit has an originating source, doesn't it? Uh, and and have you ever kind of stopped to take a look? Like a tree, a, a tree does not look like an apple. An apple doesn't look like a tree. It looks different. But the source of that apple coming out of that is coming out of something that's different. It's a tree and it's an apple. It's a fruit. They're different. And yet they're the same. They share the DNA of one another. The tree looks different. It's shaped different. Um, you wouldn't want to eat the tree, but the fruit looks different. And yet they share a nature. They share, um, you know, the DNA is the same together. Um, one is coming out of the other. And the same is true. You are not God. You are not Holy Spirit. You are not uh, the creator of the universe. You do not have the, um, the exact look or position or power that God's got. And yet, 
we have been given the opportunity for the Holy Spirit, God Himself, to dwell within us. And it's that Spirit within us, that God presence within our lives, that this fruit begins to come out of. The things look different, and yet they share this DNA. People use this list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit wrongly a lot of the times. I, I kind of cringe quite a bit when I hear people talking about how they need to work on the fruit of the Spirit. I need to work on my patience. I need to work on my love. I need to work on my joy. Um, all of these kinds of things where you put this effort and techniques into practice to try to make yourself look like what this list says you should look like, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Um, it's, it's not a list of things to work on and to be better at. You, don't, you can't just go to a seminar on joy, even though you maybe have signed up for them. But true joy isn't going to come out of another seminar. It's going to come out of the Spirit of God inside of you. Um, maybe you've got an exercise routine that's going to help you develop patience or self-control. Friends, you can try all you want, but those things are a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that you can exercise yourself into or train yourself in. Uh, maybe you've got a breathing technique that somehow is going to foster patience or long-suffering. You, you know, your family's got you completely stressed out and the dog's barking and the cat's peeing on the floor and all this is going on and you practice your breathing technique to hopefully you'll have patience or long suffering come out. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I'm just going to tell you, and it, it might give you some sort of satisfaction, but it is this stuff. This list that we have here is an outflow of God's spirit dwelling in you. It is the fruit of the spirit. You don't work on this fruit. You don't manufacture the fruit. So this is more work and more um, emphasis that's put on you doing more things to be more like God. And that really is more of an effort of and a focus on yourself. It's, it's making yourself God. It's making yourself um, the one who produces these things. And friends, you will fall short of this list being um, you know, fruitful in your lives, really, if it's about a whole bunch of work that you can do. It's keeping yourself at, in the place of God as you try to do that. And so I'm going to back up in the scriptures, and it was read earlier, but I want to read verses 16 through 18 as we take a look at this unseen tension. Everything so far has been about what you can see, the fruit of the, of the lust of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit working in you. We've seen this is what it looks like, but what's going on inside? What, where, where is this real battle forming? Because it says there we've got this, this tension between the fruit of, of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, there are contentions. So let's read again here, verse 16 through 18. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So walking in the Spirit, as opposed to fulfilling the lust of the flesh, um, has you know, this, this 
attention to it. Um, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we um, spend this time? How do we somehow fulfill the Scripture? And it would be easy for me to have a tendency to say, okay, what do you need to do to walk in the Spirit? Let me give you your you know, top four things to do for you to walk in the Spirit. And, and that's not the way walking in the Spirit works. It's nothing that you are able to do. Um, everyone desiring to live a godly life does face the tension between righteousness and sin. If you have been struggling with these two works inside of you, you are not alone. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. In fact, it's probably exactly what I want to let you know that this tension between righteousness and sin in our lives, if you are struggling with it, it means that you have a desire for righteousness. You have a desire to honor God. You have a desire to to fulfill and to be more fruitful, to fulfill his desires and plans for you, that's a good sign because the flesh is so real. It is going to be walking with you through the rest of your life. I'm, I'm sorry if that's bad news, but your flesh is, is, you're stuck with it till the day you die. You are going to be dealing with it. Um, it reminds me of the old school cartoons. Maybe you remember Tom and Jerry. Um, where uh, old Tom is dealing with this temptation to do wrong, and yet there's that little thing inside of him, his conscience, telling him to do something different, what's right. And they portrayed it in this cartoon with a, um, a little Tom that looks like an angel and a little Tom that looks like a devil sitting on his shoulder, and they're whispering in his ear what he needs to do. Um, I've even got an image here of Homer Simpson with the same dilemma going on. Um, this is something that you probably can identify with. There's a reason they put it in the cartoons, because that desire to uh, and the temptation to do the wrong and that conscious telling you to not do it, to not go forward is real. The battle is real and is present on some level, regardless of your age or however long you've been a Christian. This battle, this tension is real. The flesh is consistent. It's a silent presence in our lives. I want you to think about your flesh. What's all going on inside of you, your flesh? Well, it's your feelings, physical and emotional. These feelings are real and these feelings can somehow, you know, really can dominate your decision making. If you're uncomfortable, if you're scared, if you are just not feeling right, if you've got this, you know, nervousness about something, um, your feelings tell you that and will keep you you. If you are, uh, you, know, you know, lured to something, your appetite is, the, is another aspect of, of what's going on. Your appetite is your flesh. And so something's uh, drawing you to that drink or to that cigarette or to that magazine or to that, you know, website that you go to. It, these are your appetites and they're real. And, and you have, they've been with you your entire life. Um, that's part of the flesh. Um, your flesh carries your memories of times past when you enjoyed something and yet it got you into trouble and they become nostalgic to you even if they cost you greatly. Sometimes we can look back on something we did in the past and, and it got us into big trouble but there's this sense, especially as we're distant back from the consequences of it and we can have a tendency to look back with admiration and, and excitement and boy, those were the good old days. Um, this is part of our flesh. Flesh, this memory bank is real. Um, maybe this another part of our 
flesh is our worldly worth and value. So we have these feelings of, I want to be more important, or I want to be well-liked, or I want to be funny, and I want to be appreciated, and all of this. That's all part of our flesh. So you can see how real the... Um, the power of our flesh is. It's very real because it's always with us. These things, our feelings, our appetites, our memories, our need for worth and value, this is our flesh at work. And our flesh is often used by God to lead us into some sort of eye-opening destruction. That sentence probably went past you. I want to say it again. Our flesh is often used by God to lead us into some sort of eye-opening destruction. In other words, you hit the bottom of the pit and you say something has got to change. You see, God wants to take the destruction that the flesh brings into our life and he wants to flip it, redeem it, and use it to set you on a path filled with the Spirit. Um, it's kind of like back in the book of Genesis and Joseph is at the end of his um, life and his brothers, you know, they were the ones that sold him into slavery. And then um, there was a famine in the land. Ultimately, Joseph becomes second in charge in Egypt. Um, I won't get into the whole story, but at the end of it, his brothers are groveling because Joseph was indeed sent ahead by them, by them forcing him into slavery, selling him into slavery. And at the end of their life, they're worried that if Jacob, their dad, dead, that Joseph will stop having grace for them and helping them in the land of Egypt. And they come to him and said, hey, dad said this, another lie. Dad said that you, you know, needed to treat us kindly and everything. And he says, listen, love the line, Genesis chapter 50. He says, what you intended for um, destruction, what you intended to harm me, God has used for good, the saving of many people. And you see, that's happening in our lives. Our redemption story probably includes some really bad pit moment that you experienced when you um, were dealing with the consequences of a sinful life. You were dealing with consequences of bad choices, and finally you were at the end of yourself and you said, this isn't working. So God will take these moments, this moment of I'm at the end of my rope and he will redeem it. And that is the work of the flesh coming into contradiction with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Enters Christ, enters the Holy Spirit. And when we're in these moments, this depression or this pit moment, and we finally said, my way's not working. I need God to be working in my life. We accept Christ in. We confess our sins and our need of God. And when that comes only through accepting Jesus Christ and his work as our Savior. We accept him into our lives. Then what happens is along with him comes the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not some add-on. The Holy Spirit is God Himself, and the Holy Spirit is promised to indwell the new believer. The Holy Spirit moves in, and I want you to think about that. We're talking about the creator of the universe literally dwelling inside the hearts of mankind the redeemed, those who've accepted Christ. And so we walk then from that point and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, 
And what begins to come out is fruit. What begins to come out is, is the love and the joy and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control. All of these things begin to come out of us and it's do it doesn't come out of our nature. It comes out of the Spirit of God within us. Are you tracking with me? And it's in that situation where we actually can find ourselves a bit frustrated because we invited God to come in and help us through our pit moment. But what that also came with him living inside of us and beginning to change things about us, beginning to show things. We get more than we bargained for because all of a sudden now we're dealing with that angel and the devil constantly sitting on our shoulder and our conscience is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, here we find Paul saying, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so what we have here is this constant desire within us that needs to be fostered that we would allow the spirit of God to have more of a strong work in our lives over the work of our flesh. Now, we have got this one opportunity, this thing that we get to do is to create an environment and an atmosphere in our lives for God to work. Um, we, we might do things like our daily devotional time. We might do things like reading our Bible consistently. We might do things like going to church and being connected with friendships where people also have this desire within them. This design, that's what that's our job. Just like if you were tending a plant, a fruit tree, if you were tending a fruit tree, you do nothing to make the fruit grow. What you do is you provide the atmosphere, the environment for it to work out well. So you'll plant the tree in a place that gets sun. You will put some fertilizer in the dirt. You will make sure it's getting the water that it needs. You're hoping that, that it's getting all and you've created an atmosphere, but you don't do anything to actually make fruit pop out of all of the different blossoms. God and nature take care of that. The nature within the tree the fruit begins to come out. And so your role, if there's anything for you to take from this message, and you're saying, I want to know what to do to walk in the spirit better. I just want to encourage you to tend the atmosphere of your life. Tend it so that God has an opportunity to work. And watch out, you are going to see fruit coming in very slow yet measurable ways. And more than likely, you are going to have a hard time even seeing or being able to measure it yourself. But people around you will. When there's an argument that ensues in your home and your tendency is to get in there and fly off the handle and a little bit of a fit of wrath comes out of you normally, all of a sudden you realize, hmm, I was a little bit more patient with the family. I went a little longer than it used to, or maybe I was able to hold my tongue. Um, or maybe you're in a situation that before you're driving down the road and you know the, your patience for the, for the traffic normally is just gone. You're honking your horn, you got the middle finger in the air, you've got all kinds of stuff going on normally, and you find yourself a little bit more relaxed and peaceful about the situation. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's taking more and more root in your life. And, and 
you know, some people will be so frustrated with their flesh, so frustrated they don't seem to have control over it, that they might take extreme, um, you know, make extreme decisions to try to kill the flesh, to crucify the flesh. And that indeed was part of this passage of Scripture, is to crucify the flesh. And I think that we would do better to take this approach of tending to the atmosphere of our lives, tending to the atmosphere of the spirit, spiritual life that we have, um, putting yourself in position for God to be able to work. But some people will go to extremes. You know, I was reading about a, what a Buddhist monk or even a Catholic or Christian monk might go through and they decide, I can't live this life out in this world. And they move into some monastery and they take these vows of poverty and they insulate themselves from themselves. They try to get themselves in a position where they can't make any more mistakes and they can't let this flesh win any longer. And there is a time for maybe trying to remove yourself and put yourself out. But God called us to live in this world, but not to be of this world. He calls us to be able to walk through this life, allowing the Spirit of God to be operating within and the fruit of the Spirit would be seen by all. Therefore, men and women and children and those who see our lives will be able to glorify God who's in heaven, want what we've got, and we become this, um, you know, the salt of the earth. We become a person who's just sharing God's love and the testimony of our lives with them, because we are called to let fruit come forth out of our lives. The last part of this scripture that I want to read is Galatians 5, 24 through 26. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion, passions and desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What, this, what a calling that you and I have. What an opportunity we have for Christ to dwell within us and that His change comes from inside. You don't need to do much work. Just tend to the environment of your life. Tend to the environment of your spirit and allow God to have full control. Let's pray. Lord... Um, I pray for my friends today who have been struggling um, this tension between the flesh and the spirit. Lord, they've been dealing, Lord, with maybe temptations that have been strong and maybe they've been losing some battles lately, Father. I pray that your spirit would just uh, um, be so strong and that would um, influence, oh Lord, their lives, that they would somehow be able to give you uh, a greater um, environment for you to work in their lives, Father. I pray that you would open their hearts and open their minds to what you're trying to do and you would give them the bravery. You would give them the strength, oh God, to listen to your voice. I pray, God, they would find themselves walking in the Spirit, Lord, rather than satisfying the lusts of the flesh. And God, I know that it's work, and I know there's going to be failures. I know this is a constant tension in our lives. Lord, there's no way for us to remove ourselves from our flesh without killing ourselves. And Lord, we choose not to do that. We choose to live. We choose to live with you working in our lives. We choose to honor you. And Lord, we ask that more fruit would come out of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.